The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. As you know, we just got through a really fun season, Christmas, Advent season, and in that time of year, I'm going to state the obvious here, in that time of year, we celebrate the the birth of God as a human being. We celebrate God who was born as a baby boy. God who was born as a baby boy. It's, it never gets old saying that. Every single time I say that, every single time I say that, I think, what am I saying? If you get who God is, all-powerful, creator of everything, By the word of his mouth spoke this universe, spoke everything into existence. That he would reduce himself to be born as a baby. That is is what we focus on during the Christmas season. But the story didn't end there, right? It went on. And this baby born in a small farming town called Bethlehem, grew up to parents who were not of great significance in the eyes of the world, and neither was their child of great significance in the eyes of the world. It's likely that no one really knew about him, likely that he apprenticed with his father and he was going to become a carpenter. We can assume those things, but we don't know a lot about him because it wasn't until the age of 30 that he first entered into public ministry. And he did that even in a humbling way. He introduced himself by getting baptized in a river along with everyone else who was coming to confess their sins. And when his cousin John, who he would get baptized by, saw him, John said, Look, behold, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. And with that, Jesus started his ministry and he started by calling to follow him a group of men who no one else would want to have follow them. They weren't ready to be disciples. They weren't ready to, uh, you know, probably, you know, lead a, a, you know, peewee baseball team, let alone lead the world into knowledge of who God is. And yet these were the 12 men that he chose. And when everyone else scattered, they would stay until the time of his death when they too would also abandon him. These were the first disciples. These were the ones that we call followers of Jesus. And so when Jesus died and they had abandoned him, he died. Jesus rose from the dead. Talk about something amazing. We talk about God being born. We talk about God dying. Talk about God in the person of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And then what happens is this, that that Jesus, he ascends again to the Father, but before doing that, he gives a commission to these 11 disciples that remain at this time. And this is what we're going to read in the book of Matthew. The Great Commission says, Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, 
but some doubted. Look at this context. This context for God who would be born as a baby, who would live a life greatly of insignificance, after three years of doing ministry, would die, would rise from the dead, and then would call these followers to himself. And then some of them, after seeing all this happened, some worshipped and then some doubted, much probably like us this morning. Like this morning, some of you, when you sang the songs, were like, I'm in! Like, like you're a good, good father. And some of, of us were probably going, not if I'm just taking last week. I don't feel very good. And yet that's, that's what they were like when they gathered to hear Jesus' final words. And as we read these final words, I want you to think this. This is the last thing that Jesus says before going. And he sends his disciples. And if there is one thing, if there is one thing that we should do if we follow Jesus, it's this. If there's one thing we should do as a church, it is this. And this is what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Pause. So Jesus is looking at 11 people. That's about how many people we had in the first gathering this morning. (laughs) 11 people. And he says this. He goes, I'm going to tell you what. I am the most powerful person that has ever lived. That sounds like a joke. I am the most powerful person that has ever lived. All authority. All of it. You name it. I can do it. Do you guys get that? All authority has been given to Jesus. And he's telling that to 11 people who days before had been like, I'm I'm out. And he, he draws them back to himself and he says, I am more powerful than you can ever imagine. What an incredible scenario. And he says, so because I am... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Guys, if there is one thing that we want to do as a church, one thing it is this, to obey these words of Jesus. This last year, um, as some of you know, I'm finishing school. I should be done in June. Praise Jesus. Okay, there's going to be a bigger celebration when that happens. I'm gonna, I will do publicly a happy dance on the stage. And, um, and I was in the middle of this class, and I, I was reading this book that had the very scintillating title of Advanced Strategic Planning. Tell you what, it was, it was hard to find the book. They were just... Flying off the shelves. People were like, that's that's the one. Christmas present. And so um, I was in the middle of this chapter that had nothing to do with discipleship. And yet there was this, there was this quote in it, this line that, that lit me on fire. And this is what it said. It said, does your church have a clear, simple, memorable pathway for making disciples? Does your church have a clear, simple, memorable pathway for making disciples? A pathway that most understand and know where they are along it. 
And so the class had nothing to do with this, but I just could not, I could not get that out of my mind. And I kept thinking, do we as a refuge church know? If someone were to say, how do you, as a church, how do you plan on making disciples? How do you plan on, on, on preparing people once they've decided to follow Jesus to continue to know where they are along the pathway of discipleship? And so, so we created, um, I, I, wrote it down and the elders looked at it and we, we refined it and we came up with this path of a mature disciple, um, which then was creatively uh, designed by the, the girls in the fellowship program. And now you have as a gift. So um, path of mature discipleship, I want you to think about it in this way. So to be a disciple simply means to be a learner. Right? To, they have chosen to learn from Jesus. Right? This is what the disciples are. The reason why we have the word mature in that is because oftentimes we see what it means to be a follower of Jesus or to be a disciple is as if this one time in my life I said I'm in. As if at a, at a point in time I said, well, okay, instead of associating myself here, I'm going to associate myself here. The way I was thinking about this was um, if you've been to a fair at some point in your life, probably a lot of you have been to a fair, and you decided going to the fair that you wanted to go on a ride. Not any ride. You decided to go on the zipper. Okay? And and so you you bought your tickets. And when you bought your tickets, you weren't like, Oh, yes! This is so much fun! Right? Like, people would look at you and be like, what are you doing? You're like, these cost $10! You know, no, it wasn't that what you celebrated, right? It wasn't when you walked to the zipper and you got in line and you you realized you made the cut, you know? Like, you were a good two feet out. Like, you could walk in. And then then they put the little bar around you that gives you a good 50-50 chance if you're going to make it alive. And it wasn't at that moment that you were like, this is the best thing ever. You know, no, it wasn't that moment. It, it wasn't when the machine was going, you know, and, and started lifting you up. That was not the moment that you were waiting for. Right? But this is how, this is how we oftentimes treat discipleship, is if we got the tickets, we're ready to go, and, and yet that's it. When Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, he wasn't like, here's tickets, now just enjoy them. And no, he's welcoming you into a life, literally, of, of following him. When he found the disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and he said, come follow me and I will transform your life. I will make you fishers of men. How many of you would refer to yourselves as fishers of people? active participants in this. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So um, the first stage, the first part of the path of mature disciple, if you look in your, uh, your sweet booklet, is follow. And I also have sermon notes. Uh, you can kind of pair them together. I encourage you, if you have your sermon notes, maybe go home and tape them in this. You can add to your path. Um, the goal today is that I want you to leave knowing what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to say, I, I am a Christ follower. 
Some of you uh, have, at some point in your life, decided to follow Jesus. Um, and I think even if you have done that, there's still a lot of people who, if someone says, what, what does it mean? Um, there might be silence. Like, man, I don't know. That's such a big question. What does it mean? And today I really want to, to tell you what that means. Uh, if you have not decided to follow Jesus, I want just to invite you into this conversation. Uh, we're going to be looking at a verse that was very significant in, in my life as Jesus clarified for me what it meant to follow him. When I was in high school, um, I... This is very strange to say, but I really, I really loved Jesus, and um, and I remember there was different things that God had brought into my life that that made me really passionate about following Him. Um, one of those things was I remember reading the book Pursuit of God by A. W. Tozer, and it was just so rich. And I remember like like falling in love with Jesus all over again reading that book. And another very profound experience was, and I remember like visually in my mind, I can think of where I was. I was sitting in my room and I was on this like beanbag chair that my parents still have in their living room uh, reading uh, 1 John. And I came across this verse that we're gonna be going over today. And I remember just it stopping me. Like, like this is what it means. So clear. How often do we say, or here, people say, you know, it's, the Bible is just confusing. It just doesn't say anything clear. Like, this is it. Like, when we read this, you will, you will see that, <laughs> that the Bible is very clear of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me First 1 John 2, uh, 3 through 6, or you can just follow along here on the screen. This is what it says. We know that we have come to know him, meaning Jesus, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his words, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And that verse, verse 6, is the one that completely transformed my life. Whoever claims to live in Jesus must live as Jesus did. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means to live as Jesus did. No ifs, ands, or buts. Crystal clear, that is what it means. I want you to take out of your excuse bucket, I just don't really know what you're asking for. <laughs> this is what he's asking for. And, and looking through it, we'll explain how to do this. Um, if you have your notes, we have five points here. <clears throat> the first thing of what it means to follow Jesus, and I'm going to pair each one of these points with a question, and if you have your notes, those are the community questions at the end. But the first thing this means is obedience. And the question I want to pair with that is, do you or Jesus have more authority in your life? Do you or Jesus have more authority in your life? 
Because what it means here, if we just start reading in 1 John 2, 3, it says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. For whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands as a liar in the truth, is not in that person. When it says here, keep his commands, the word keep here literally, it, it means to hold fast to. So when the disciples heard Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee say, come follow me, what they knew explicitly in what he was saying was this, that there are things in your life that you are holding on to that you're going to have to let go of and so you can hold on to the teaching of Jesus. There are things in your life that you are doing, there are There are rules that you're obeying. There are desires that you are obeying that when you come to follow Jesus, you're going to have to let go of so you can take hold of Jesus. That makes sense? So this is is huge. So in a very real sense, following Jesus means dropping everything else. And and that's what you hear in Colossians where it says... I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. One of the coolest verses. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I'm living in obedience to him, that everything else I've let go of. And you hear this in Luke Nine, where it says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Um, you know, and, and I think it's probably a lot of us have heard those verses. What I, I want you to, to um, understand though how we treat the life of a disciple still um, I read this amazing book called, um, oh gosh, what was it called? Uh, Lone Survivor by Mark Luttrell. He was a Navy SEAL. And part of the book, he spends talking about what it takes to train as a Navy SEAL. And I imagine, you know, they're on Coronado Island. They're rolling around in the sand. You know, the, the drill sergeants are yelling at him. And one just pops up and he's like, oh, I have a, I have a dinner engagement I've got to take off for. That's not what he signed up for. He, he, he signed up for listening to the commanding officer and doing what that commanding officer says, right? The Christian life, though oftentimes as a disciple, we treat it as like, we're like, okay, sorry Jesus, not your time, my time, I'm going to do what I want, right? Like we really give seniority to we give authority to our, our desires and what we want to do. And, and we feel okay with going, well, God, just not now. Because, but the, the Christian life is one of obedience. Because if you, if you look at First John, it's very clear and it's very stark. Look at this. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is what? Is a liar. Like, let that hit you (laughs) do we give Jesus authority or do we keep authority for ourselves and if we keep the authority ourselves then we are not a disciple 
the the second thing, and you're like, well, we're on point one, and already I'm like, woo. Okay, point two is this. Instruction. And the question I want you to pair with this is, do you know what Jesus actually said? Do you know what Jesus actually says? Or do you just participate in that version of religion that's like, oh, my God wouldn't. Or like, oh, well, Jesus said, or Jesus just loves me so. And, and like all these little things we tell ourselves when we really aren't meditating on his words that involve whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. And whoever wants to save their life in this world will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Right. Let's, let's put that in the Jesus says category <laughs> and give him authority and listen to his instructions. But, but then the question is, all right, are, are you? Is it Jesus' words that, are, that you're hearing, that you're obeying, or is it simply a, a modified version of Christianity that you're living out and thinking Jesus is just happy with that? And I'm not saying you, like me, I, I do the same thing. Um, what are Jesus' words? Do you fill your heart with them? And, you know, and I think this, when I read, when it says, uh, if you keep my commands, and, and then I, <laughs> I have to stop sometimes and go, okay, what did Jesus say? And it's a purposeful moment to stop and remember his words. It, it's not a gut reaction for me. I have to let his words fill my mind and then purposefully do them, purposefully live in obedience. It tell you what doesn't happen. You just hit cruise control in your life and you're like, wow, I've been obeying Jesus so well. I just, looking back, all the decisions I made were just in line. No, no, it's submitting myself to his words. And by that, learning from him and being a follower. The third thing is this, intimacy. Um, so, and, and let me clarify that. Where <clears throat> we know instructions because here in verse 5 where it says, if anyone obeys his words, and his words is where we see instruction. Verse 5, we see intimacy here. It says, if anyone obeys his words, love for God is truly made complete in them. The question I want you to pair with this is, do you feel the pleasure of God? Is that a part of your discipleship? Is hearing the words of God say, I'm pleased with you. This was the whole goal of John writing this letter in verses three and four of chapter one, he says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. And then he says, and I write this to make my joy complete. The whole reason why I'm writing this is so you can have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and son. And all he is doing is he's pulling from Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, where Jesus, before he died, was praying to the Father, and he says, Father, may they be one as we are one. I and you, you and me, 
me and them. Like he's just like completing this circle of of intimacy that you don't feel outside of God anymore, but you are inside of him. That his love is perfected in you, not that you have loved perfectly, but you have been loved perfectly. Guys, that is a profound saying. Not that you have loved perfectly, but you, you, you have been loved perfectly. You might not even know how to respond to love perfectly, but you have been loved perfectly. And that's the experience of the disciple. Not that you have been perfect, but his love has been perfected in you because of what he has done and what he continues to do in extending grace. The fourth thing is this, indwelling. And the question here is, is your heart, is your heart the home of God? And where we see this here is, is it says, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him. Those two words, in him, literally is one word in the Greek, and it is the word abide or abiding. Um, and that, what I want you to get in that idea of abiding is to be not just present with, but literally part of, right? Inside, like it says in here, to be in Christ. And so to be a disciple means that you no longer, you no longer see yourself as an individual but literally as a, as a part of God, you are found no longer isolated, but you are found in him. I think this is really beautifully described in, <clears throat> in the way John himself understood this, the, the writer of this book and one of the disciples of Jesus. Five times in the book of John, the gospel, he says, he refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Um, which, if you think about it, is kind of weird. Uh, because like, if you read it, I think it's easy to be like, oh, that's so sweet. But then imagine if if you were talking to me and you're like, so who are you? Tell me about yourself. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm the one Jesus loves. It would sound kind of cocky. But for him, it was such a reality of... of of being present in the love of Jesus. He just saw his identity wrapped in that, right? That, that he was in Jesus and Jesus was in him. And so there was that in the indwelling that was happening. Like literally, I think John just felt so completely filled up. And so when he says, whoever claims to live in him, whoever claims to, to abide in Jesus, and, and he had so had that experience, and he also welcomes you into that experience. It's the same experience that he talks about in John 15, where my dad preached a couple of weeks ago, where he says, I am the vine, Jesus referring to himself, and you are the branches. If anyone abides in me, Jesus says, if you are abiding in me, if you're in me, you will bear much fruit. 
apart from me, if you still see yourself as alone, if you still see yourself as isolated, as an individual, you can do nothing. So you have to. If you want to, if you're going to bear the fruit of a disciple, you have to be found in him. But the last part is so beautiful, and I, and we're going to wrap up with this. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And this is a very strange way to say it, I think, because the word live here is repeated again at the end, but I think it's more accurately translated walk. And you'll see why, because, because all throughout the Bible, like literally over 90 times, it's just translated walk, like to walk on the road. So, so the way it says is whoever claims to abide in him must walk as Jesus walked. It's repeated twice. You must walk as Jesus walked. The first time we find this in the New Testament is when Jesus walks by the Sea of Galilee. Walks by the Sea of Galilee. And what does he do when he walks by the Sea of Galilee? He looks at a couple of fishermen and he says, come follow me. Come walk behind me. Come walk with me. And I will do something. And I will make you something. I will make you Fishers of people. So I think at this point, you know, I mean, there's so many cool things about this, but as we we read it, I think if I just stopped here, some of you would leave and say, I am not a disciple. Because I know that's a question that a lot of us hold, and I can't answer that question for you. I can ask you questions to discern with you whether that's true or not. But what I want to share with you is when we see this word walked again used later in Matthew, and this is really powerful, with the same person that Jesus had invited into his life by saying, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Peter, that same man that he called later in Matthew 14, was in the middle of a storm on a boat with all his buddies. And Jesus, Jesus wasn't with them. And in Matthew 14, what happens is that, that Peter is filled with fear. He, he'd, claimed, he'd, he'd committed himself to following Jesus, but they were in a life and death situation, and they thought, we're going to die. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking, walking out on the water. And Peter... This man who Jesus had called sees Jesus and he says, if you call me, I will come to you. And, and Jesus could have said, I already called you. That already happened. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus says, come, very simply. And, and Peter, he steps out of the boat and he begins walking to Jesus. He's walking on water. He's doing it. He's succeeding. He's doing what Jesus asked him to do. Then all of a sudden, what happens is that Peter sees the storm again, and he starts going down. He's failed. He can't follow Jesus. And the context that's given seems like Jesus is far away, but in an instant Jesus is there and Jesus reaches out his hand and he lifts Peter up because Peter's cried out to him 
And what I want you guys to see is that is what it means to be a disciple. Not to succeed all the time, but to do it and to fail and to cry out to Jesus. Do you not feel intimacy with God? Are you not listening to his instruction? Are you not obeying? Well, the real question is, are you calling out to Jesus? Because you could be actively failing right now. You could be falling, you could be sinking. You could respond to Jesus' call to come, and you went. And all of a sudden, something happened. And you failed big time. And the encouragement to be someone who walks as Jesus walked is to call out to God. And you see this in, in John 12, where Jesus cries out to the Father, Father, if you could take this cup from me, take this cup from me, I don't want to do this. And, and then he says, but not my will, but your will be done. And, and we are, are invited in the same way to be those disciples. So what are we going to be? The question here, if we walk as Jesus walked, is this, do you look like Jesus? And, and we need to let that question bear its full force against us and be brutally honest with ourselves and see the ways we do not look like Jesus. And maybe in your assessment, <laughs> it will be very grim. And if it's not, maybe just ask somebody close to you and let them be grim with you. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then cry out, out to Jesus, change me, change this heart. Because this is not my heart anymore, it's your heart, right? I, I want you to put to death the things in me that need to be put to death so I can live the life that you have for me. There are three ways that as a church um, we want to invite you to practice this life. And in a lot of ways, they're going to seem really simple, what it means to follow Jesus. But what I'm going to say is it probably sounded really simple when Jesus said, hey, if you want to walk behind me, you're going to start like making people fish. Or, you know, I don't know what they thought he meant at that time. <laughs> you know, they were like, I'm in. I, you know, and they started going. And in the same way, the things that we want to invite you to do to practice, which are in here, uh, I seem really simple. And the first is, is baptism. And we, in a lot of ways, I was talking to somebody this week, we've kind of failed as a church of often inviting people to be baptized and practicing that. And so I want to invite you to be baptized. I would like to do a baptism at the end of this month for anyone who hasn't been baptized. And, and just invite you to be a part of that and to do that more frequently as a church. Because Jesus said, with all authority, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them. And what he meant by that is that the life that we have lived is buried with Jesus in his death. And the life that we now live is Jesus' life. That's what it means when you get baptized. That's what you're declaring. The second thing is communion. And we want to invite you to take communion weekly with us. But that is a statement of faith. That every time we do it, it should never get old. And every time we do it, we remember... That Jesus' body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us, and that, remember, is that juice, as juicy as it tastes, as insignificant as it might taste, represents a new covenant in Jesus' blood 
that we are no longer outside, but we're found in him. And there is nothing more significant than that. That's what you mean when you take communion. And the third thing is this, discipleship. And by this, I do not mean that you've committed to following Jesus. That's what we're, we're saying. You've committed to following Jesus. But then what does discipleship look like after that? What I'm calling you to, inviting you to, is to make disciples of other people. A, a way to think about this is, last night was New Year's Eve. And when I was driving to a New Year's Eve party, I thought, which I often do when I'm going to a social gathering, I think of all the people who aren't going to something people who feel alone, the people who, who maybe are sitting at home at that moment going, man, I wish that someone would have invited me. And I think that's where a lot of people are in their, their Christian walk. They're waiting for someone else to invest in them. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like a spectator. Even you come to church week after week and you kind of spectate and, and are waiting for something. And I want to invite you to stop waiting but to start doing to find someone else that you can pass your faith on to no matter how small and insignificant you feel like your faith is because i promise you one of the reasons why you don't feel confident in your faith is because you don't pass it on because you don't talk about jesus because when the word jesus comes out of your mouth it still feels like a foreign word Because you aren't often in conversation with people and you're like, let me tell you about Jesus. It could even be somebody that has been a Christian way longer and you start building that relationship with them to talk about Jesus with them. Because you have something to offer. Why? Because Christ is in you. Like that's not stage three Christian, okay? That's like, that's like, Right out of the gate. <laughs> right? And you, you need to learn to let the Spirit of God who's in you start speaking through you. And that's not going to happen if you keep saying nothing. But start talking. Start discipling somebody else. Don't wait for it. Stop waiting for someone else to invite you to their New Year's Eve party and make your own New Year's Eve party, right? Like, that's what I'm saying is just stop waiting, start doing, because you can. Because you have the Spirit of God in you if you have committed to follow Jesus and you've been buried with him and raised to life with him. So, is there something keeping you from simply following Jesus? Is there something keeping you from being baptized or taking communion, something keeping you from making a disciple. If there is, I invite you to bury that and go on to life with Jesus. Pray with me. God, sometimes it feels like we're we're glued to our seats. We're We've been listeners for a long time and I pray that this will spark a flame, create a roaring fire in us that we we see what it means and we don't wait, but we walk with you. That you will remind us often this week of 1 John 2, 6 that if we claim to be found in Christ, we will walk.
like Jesus walked. I pray that these words won't be received as an impossibility for anyone here, but as profoundly possible if we've claimed to follow. Give us courage to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.